The Perfect Ten. With Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time radio award winner. Welcome to another edition of The Perfect Ten. Hope you're doing well, and as always, thanks for listening. Part two with Matthew the Rocket Rodwell is coming up soon, but recently I caught up with another champion halfback, Trent Hodkinson. Trent began his career with Manly under Des Hasler. He spent time at the Bulldogs and played in two grand finals against Souths and Melbourne Storm, respectively. He also spent time with the Newcastle Knights, had a brief cameo with the Sharks, and spent the final two years of his career back at Manly. He also starred for New South Wales at state of origin level. And Trent's also remembered for some of the beautiful gestures off the field with charity. As always, The Perfect Ten, brought to you by Robson Civil Projects, a third-generation company that employs hundreds on the Central Coast, Sydney, and across the Hunter. A little later in the episode, we'll catch up with Greg Ferguson, Resources Manager at Robson Civil Projects. Right now, though, from Level 5 at Stadium Australia, Trent Hodkinson, welcome to The Perfect Ten. Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, Looking forward to uh, having a chat with you and just finished... As you said, calling the uh, uh, MCing the, the Bulldogs game here at home. So um, let's get into it. Yeah, we've got to talk about the uh, 2021 season and, uh, you know, really difficult start for the Bulldogs. And apart from Brisbane, nearly every team they played were final sides last year. It, it must be hard to watch for you, though. Yeah, it is difficult, you know, spending so many times uh, here as a player and having some successful years, a couple of grand finals. And, um, you know, there was a, a good bunch of guys here at the time that we really enjoyed our footy so uh, it's tough to watch at the moment but I'm sure you know I I was talking to a couple of people down on the sideline just before and there's something there it's just you know it's just funny what a a win can do and the confidence that it can build off the entire team so it's it's not too far away I have confidence in the Bulldogs and uh, as I said it's it's you know it's just one win away from from a good run that, that they'll have, I think. I always like to hear a bit of a backstory, but, man, this is the venue. This is the field of dreams. Uh, your greatest night as an athlete took place here in 2014. Yeah, it certainly did. Um, State of Origin game too. Yeah, a lot of good memories at this stadium, no doubt, with, with the Bulldogs, etc., in finals games, but none better than that, that game too in State of Origin where we were able to, you know, break the drought and... It, it, still looking back at it now, it's it's very surreal. It, I'm looking out at the stadium as we speak now, and it's uh, it's a special place, but it, it still doesn't feel real even even now. Um, a stadium packed full of fans, and you know there were a few Queensland fans down the end, which I have to. Funnily enough, I scored the try in front of, so I couldn't celebrate too much. But um, yeah, some good memories here, that's for sure. You know, I put the ball down, and then I soon realised I still had to have a kick yet to to put through the post to take us to 6-4 and I couldn't celebrate too early after that try. Yeah, we'll talk more about that and also 2014 is the year that you steer Canterbury into the NRL Grand Final against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Yeah, it was. It was a, a pretty pretty successful year all round 14. I was lucky enough to get married the same year so the, the Grand Final would have been would have been great to top it off but it wasn't to be. It was a it was an enjoyable year with the Bulldogs. Uh, I think we finished sixth that season and we went down to Melbourne, game one, um, beat them, come against Manly, went down to the wire and we won in Golden Point against Manly. Then went on to Penrith who beat Roosters, which was a bit of a shock um, at the time and uh, Jamie Soward got them over the line, which we you know, uh, beat in the, in the semi-final, which took us to the Rabbitohs game and 
you know, that was a cracker game, but uh, the Rabbitohs were just too good on the day. You know, they had the Sam Burgess boys that were were in top form. Greg Inglis was, was firing. Um, Adam Reynolds, you know, Luke Keary was there back then, so he was playing some good footy, and uh, we just got him on a, a bad day for us, and, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, and what about the opening to that game? Uh, you know, the two Englishmen uh, collide, literally. You know, the earth shakes here on that night. Yeah, that was uh, first tackle. Uh, it all... You know, James Graham, he always liked to set the tone early and um, what a game to do it in and what a player to do it against, Sam Burgess. And, you know, two Englishmen that respect each other off the field and on and off the field, but what, a, what an opening exchange it was. And, and Sam, to finish the game as he did with that broken cheekbone, you know, that'll go down in history as, as one of the greatest grand final performances by a player. But, um, yeah, James Graham, he, he just loves that sort of stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, and I'd say that through that period, 2014, 15 and 16, emotion can take you so far in the game. I'd like to get your opinion because the Rabbitohs hadn't won since 71. Cowboys win for the first time in 2015. Cronulla win for the first time in their history in 2016. And can you feel that as a player when you're out there, when you're up against a team that is driven by that overriding emotion? Yeah, certainly. And and a lot of that emotion, as you mentioned, come from the history of the club and no doubt that the Rabbitohs leading into that game would have been um, bombarded with the history um, they would have spent a lot of time you know just looking back and seeing what the players and the and the people beforehand did for the club and as I said on that day that, that 2014 grand final day you could definitely feel it it was in the air um, no doubt you try and block it out the best you can because that's what you do as a player. You run out there and you, you block out the noise. And, you know, we're very confident going into the game as well. But, you know, and I don't want to sit here and say excuses, but we didn't have Mickey Ennis. He was out injured, um, which was a big part of our game and our season in the Bulldogs moving f- moving forward, getting the getting the, uh, the the middles on the front front foot for us to, to, you know, play off the back of. And, you know, we had Benny Barber there as well and, um, it just on the day it was just it was just South Day. When you look back at it, um, as I said, we were very confident going into the game, but you know we 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 tried our best, but we couldn't stop them. It was um, it was their game. Yeah, gee, you forget that Mick Ennis he missed that match. What was the injury? The injury uh, he he hurt the week before against Penrith foot, and he required surgery. I think it was, or it was making him sit out for eight to ten weeks and. The, those foot injuries on the top, they're, they're quite painful and they, they take a while to recover from. So um, it was a big loss, you know, but um, we, needed to, we needed to move forward for that game and, and try our best to, to do what we can for the, for the, for the club and um, for ourselves as a season to finish it off on a high. But unfortunately, losing Mick was, was a tough one and, as I said, he was a big part of our, of our uh, team that year. My recollections of that night is I think the crowd was about 70-30 the Rabbitohs way and then to see men, women and children crying in the stands because in their lifetime a lot of them hadn't seen the Rabbitohs win. No, that's right um, and they've gone through a lot too you know, they were out of the competition, they come back in and um, you know, that I could see you could, well you could see the, the relief on their faces of everything paying off and you know, it was, it was, it was a credit to them, they had a great season and had a great um, grand final day, uh, the game, and yeah, hats off to them for, for doing a good job. I would have liked it to go the other way, of course, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. Before we go back in time, let's just go back to the origin night here again. So 
that's everything that you would have dreamt of as a player. Take me inside that origin camp and who are the people that drive the culture and also talk to me about the coach. Yeah, it was funny um, because I'm not too sure if it was a previous year they had done this or, or it was the first year we, we went we took camp up to Coffs Harbour. So we got out of the bubble in Sydney. They usually do it at Coogee or somewhere down there in the eastern suburbs. And I remember being you know, fairly... Um, Fairly young at the, at the time, 24 I think I was, and inexperienced at, at that level. Um, and you got guys around you like your Paul Gowans, Luke Lewis's, Robbie Farrers, uh, Bo Scotts, Ryan Hoffman's. You know, they had been there for a long time. So you're a halfback going into a team that's established and been around each other for a long time. It was a little bit daunting, but, you know, I had some good teammates uh, with me, Josh Morris, um, Josh Reynolds as well, my halves partner at the time. So it was good. We, we bunkered down in Coffs Harbour and... You know, first thing that it might have been Lukey Lewis said to me, he said, you know what, don't worry about the papers, don't worry about the news, just don't watch anything. Um, so I didn't. And I didn't read one bit of paper, I didn't watch anything, and it was great for me because I didn't see or read or hear any outside noise and I could just focus and bunker in on, you know, what we were building in the in camp. So Laurie Daly was great. He's, a, he's more a motivator, and I felt... I felt very comfortable under Laurie, um, having conversations before camp and um, spending a lot of time during camp. Obviously, it was uh, I. Uh, I was very, very grateful to have Laurie there, as especially my first year as well. You know, it made me feel really comfortable, and it was, it was, it was good. It was a good, good camp up there. As I said, we had a lot of, lot of experienced players that could help me out. Over the years, New South Wales have rotated their halves combinations. Did you feel like you were? I mean, a big thing with an athlete is feeling like you belong. Did you feel like you were the best number seven in New South Wales? Uh, look, it, it it actually all happened. Um, I think Mitchell had a had an off field um, incident, and him at the time it was it was Mitchell and James Maloney uh, in the halves. So, and Laurie was big on combinations. So with Mich- Mitchell missing out, um, he then looked for another halves combination at club level and, and we were doing pretty well at the time with the dogs. So, um, you know, he opted to go with myself and Josh. And Look, it, it was never in my mind to, to be in the, in, the, you know, in the window or the talk about being in, in the Origin team. I was just focused on doing well for the, for the club and, you know, they had just repaid me with a, with a, a contract um, after almost giving the game away a couple of years before. So my focus was on them. And I remember it was a funny, funny story. I think Jimmy Dimmick had spent a bit of time in, in with New South Wales over the years. And I don't think that season he was involved. And, you know, as you do, you, he's got connections and you hear whispers. And we flew back in from a game over at New Zealand and uh, we touched down and he said, he looked at me and he said, oh, Origin, hey? And I went, I looked at him, I said, you're kidding yourself, you know? And then funnily enough, that, night or the next morning I get a call from Laurie Daly um, saying that you know, I'd made the team so um, even then I, I didn't think twice about it after Jimmy Dimmick said something I just laughed it off and said yeah yeah mate whatever and then it got the phone call so um, yeah it was a dream come true as you said you, you dream of that as a young bloke and you watch Origin and um, but I, I did not think it was going to happen I thought my time had it hadn't even come. I didn't think I'd get the opportunity, you know. Mitchell Pierce was a young half and he was playing well and club level and I thought he was going to be there for a long time. You know, they were changing halves with combinations with Mitchell, but 
Um, I just thought that there's plenty of other good halves out there that are way better than myself. So, you know, I was focused on club. What's the difference in atmosphere when you're walking down the tunnel at this stadium with 80,000 fans, origin night, where, you know, it's probably 80% Blues fans, and then grand final night, you know, the biggest night in October? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I get asked the question how, how it feels running out in origin. And I always say to them that the loudest stadium that I, I ran out in front of was Suncorp. Uh, it only holds 52,000, but they are very close. And being a New South Welshman up there, you don't, they're not too uh, kind to you. So uh, it was nice and loud, but, you know, you, you feed off that. And coming back to ANZ Stadium game two, 80-odd thousand or whatever it was, was, was very echoing at the same time. And especially, uh, especially you know, winning the series, um, if there was a roof, it would have went off. So um, grand finals are very similar, but nothing can compare to origin. I mean, the build-up and the fans and the hatred and, you know, the back and forth is, it all combines into one night and one game and... Uh, at the time, and it's something you can't explain. Did you have anything to do with the late, great Tommy Radonikus? I didn't have too much to do with Tommy, unfortunately. But, again, when you're in camp, you f- go through all the history of, you know, that's one thing that Laurie was big on, the history and um, of the New South Wales side over the years and the people that have made a difference and, the, you know, and that's what we're playing for, essentially. And, um, unfortunately, I didn't get to, to meet late Tommy, um, but... You know, he's got such a legacy, massive legacy on the game, and he'll be remembered forever. Yeah, I was lucky enough to meet him, and West were my team because uh, Dad went for them and uh, absolutely loved Tommy. And one night in Brisbane, we had a photo at a function. Uh, Artie Beetson was there too. And, uh, you know, it's just priceless memories. They're, they're your best nights at the footy ever. Hey, uh, do you remember watching Origin for the first time as a kid? And tell me about that experience. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure when it was in particular, but I, I remember watching um, New South Wales and, you know, you, you're watching the likes of Andrew Johns, Trent Barrett, um, Nathan Hindmarsh, Lukey Lewis, all those guys, you know. And my dad was, was a, a massive Manly fan and I grew up watching and following Manly uh, in his footsteps. Uh, and then we would sit down and watch Origin and, you know, it was just it was just so good to watch. And as I said earlier, it was never in... It's always in your wildest dreams to, to represent your state, but I, I never really thought it was going to be a reality until it happened. Did your dad yell at the TV like my dad did and my brothers do and like I do now? And do you do that? I don't do that. No, I, and I don't think my dad did that either. I think uh, he was more... He'd yell at the TV more for uh, the English Premier League. So he's a big soccer fan, uh, Englishman himself. So it was just good to watch. And, and there's some good memories watching it with, with your family. And yeah, and then finally them being able to come out and watch it live and you being a part of it, you know, seeing them in the stands was, was very special. Yeah, I got to share that moment with you too with uh, some post-match interviews. Hey, uh, tell me about the Hodkinson family. How many are there? Uh, where did you play your junior footy? And what are those memories like? Yeah, so there's just myself and, and my brother, um, seven years older, my brother, and, and mum and dad. Um, played my junior, junior footy out at um, Campbelltown. So I'm a Campbelltown boy. I was born out there, played for Eaglevale St Andrews up until under-12s, and then I made my way over to Cabramatta in 13s onwards. So I, I, I played all my mats and my SG ball and jersey flag at Parramatta. 
Um, I also attended Westfield Sports, so that was also a factor in why I made the transition over into the Parramatta Comp at the time we were at West, and um, I had mates in the Parramatta Comp that you play with in, in rep sides, and we were we were winning grand finals, you know, by 50 points, and they were winning by one or two points. And, you know, I thought for my footy moving forward, um, in my age group out there at, at, in the in the West Comp, it wasn't the strongest. So I thought for my the best thing for my footy moving forward was to to make the leap over to to the Parramatta Comp and play for Cabramatta. And and also it was a very late call to go to Westfields. I was almost done and dusted to go to St Greg's out there at Campbelltown. And then yeah, the last minute call was to go to Westfields, and I spent uh, my time there and um, yeah played all my junior footy at Parramatta. Yeah, my great mate uh, Michael Butner went to Westfield Sports yeah. High and. He never made a rep team uh, one year, so he didn't make New South Wales. The following year, he's the Australian schoolboys captain. It's a great story for perseverance and resilience. It certainly is, and and you know I was I was the same. The, uh, the big CHS, I never made New South Wales. Um, in that, I made the Sydney sides, but and then uh, you know I was lucky enough, luckily enough to make the Junior Kangaroos a few years later. And yeah, hats off to you know people that can still you know maintain the hard work and you know it's a it's a it's a credit to guys because kids out there may not make those junior um sides as a year or two later you could be right up there and as you said Michael Butner was went from not making it to being a captain so it is definitely possible and you know I I, uh, I went through it myself Hope you're enjoying this edition of The Perfect Ten with Trent Hodkinson. And right now, due to overwhelming demand, Greg Ferguson, Resources Manager at Robson Civil Projects, is back on The Perfect Ten. Fergie, the word on the street is you're trying to impersonate me. Yeah, I've got fantastic to be here, mate. Love the show and ready to get down to business. <laughs> awesome stuff, mate. And how are you enjoying Trent Hodkinson on The Perfect Ten? Yeah, look, a great player. Um, certainly a fantastic goal kicker over the years as well. And one thing I remember about Trent Hodkinson was uh, a lovely thing he did taking out a young cancer sufferer one night to her, uh, I think it was her school formal. And uh, yeah, that's resonated with me for a long time. Yeah, I'm with you, Fergie. Just so beautiful. And we'll talk about that on The Perfect Ten with Trent in a few moments' time. Hey, give us an update on Robson Civil Projects. What's been happening? Work all around New South Wales at the moment and some milestones as well? Yes, mate. We've uh, certainly got plenty of work on in the Hunter Valley at the moment in the mining environment. We've also had a lot of employee milestones with our longest serving employee, uh, Trevor Peskett, celebrating 47 years in April this year. Uh, Scott Murray celebrated 30 years. It's amazing. 47 years. I've been there myself now, 24 years, I think, this year. So you don't have that many employees hanging around for that long if you're not a great place to work. Now, I know they won't talk themselves up, but Grant Robson, the main man, and his daughter Ashley... They went head-to-head recently in the Australian Sailing Championships, the 16-foot and 13-foot. What unfolded? Yeah, Ashley uh, finished fourth in the, uh, in the Australian titles there on the, on the handicap results and basically just really smashed her old man. Yeah, it was really good to see that, that Ashley uh, put her old man to the sword. Can you give us a couple of words uh, in Steve Allen style before we go back live to the podcast? Yeah, been out on the ski, mate, with the speedos on. Fantastic stuff. Greg Ferguson, Resources Manager and Class Clown at Robson Civil Projects. Right now, let's get back to the podcast with Trent Hodkinson. And he reveals there was a coach at Parramatta who was pivotal in his development. Look, I had um, I had some good coaches out at Parramatta. Uh, Joey Grimer was out there. He was our, 
SG ball coach at the time. Matty Cameron I had a bit to do with, who was out at Penrith now. Yeah, there were a lot of guys that I'd ha- have to say a big thank you to out there at Parramatta. That because and and it'd have to be a, our coach Craig Hamilton was out at Cabramatta, and I was a five eight. And um, growing up, Trent Barrett was was one of my favourite players, Brad Fittler and Trent Barrett. And he made me back then. Your five eight was played a little bit off the ball and wider, and your half back was your you know old school be around the ruck, organise, and your five eight will be a bit wider. And he come up to me and said, "I'm thinking about moving you to half back." And I said, "Okay, yep, no problem." Um, he said, "I reckon you'll be a good half back." So I made the move over to the half back, and I seemed to do pretty well. Um, I think that was. A key factor into me improving my footy, um, starting to make sides, and and um, yeah, I think a, a massive, massive thank you would have to be to him to for making that transition. Although these days, five eight and halfback are, are very similar, mm. but back then at the time they were still at a stage where it was it was different. Um, your five eight was more your ball runner, um, playing out wide, where I was just organising and feeding the forwards, and then essentially feeding the 5'8 and the people out wide. Who's your favourite halfback and 5'8 of all time? Because just when you said that, I thought straight away of Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly. Yeah, well, it'd have to be Freddie Fittler, I'd say. I love Freddie growing up. And Trent Barrett as well. Being a 5'8, they were my two favourite players growing up. And, and then when I started and transitioned into the halfback, I loved Matty Orford. I loved, uh, he was a goal-kicking halfback and I was a goal-kicking halfback in the juniors and there wasn't much of him and he was tough and uh, he played for Manly, who my dad followed and I followed at the time back in the day. So, yeah, Matty Orford was a uh, was one of those players as well. Premiership winner in 2008 and, uh, you know, he's had some real tough times but what a fantastic guy and a great family. Loved the Ox. In fact, I think there should be a statue of the Ox on the New South Wales Central Coast where he resides. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time when I went over to um, Manly in back end of 2008 when they finished, uh, when they won the competition. And, you know, Ox was great to me. I was a young fella coming in, a skinny, you know, little fella probably weighing 70 kilos, ringing wet. Um, I was working at the time, and this was my opportunity to, to go take footy full-time, and Manly offered that. Um, hence why you know I didn't stay at Parramatta. They had halves, uh, Brett Finch. They had uh, James Maloney was up and coming. Um, Tim Smith was playing really well, so there wasn't too much space for me to go full time there. But at Manly, Desi got me over and tell me that story. Yeah, it was funny. I, I walked into Desi's office and I had me uh, my work clothing on, my tradie gear on, and he said he looked me up and down. And he said, "We've got a bit of work to do with you, mate, don't we?" And I said, "Yep." but I'm ready. And he said, beautiful, um, we want to sign you. This is what we see in you. This is, uh, this is this and that. And the rest is history, yeah. It's up to you, but what's your first deal worth at the Sea Eagles? Yeah, I think my first deal was uh, from memory. I think it was uh, 80, I think, from memory. Qualified tradesman or apprentice? Apprentice. So I was um, three years into my apprenticeship and uh, doing the fire sprinklers and yeah going from that and and being offered a full-time role um, over at Manly something that you want to do full-time was a no-brainer so the apprenticeship got put on hold and off I went to to you know play rugby league full-time. 
Yeah, and a lot of people around the country might be thinking, and around the world that listen to The Perfect Ten, they might think 80000 sounds like a lot of money, but Sydney's a very expensive place to live, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And, and look, I don't think it was... I think eighty might have been my second year there. It may have been even thirty first year for... I, I cannot remember, honestly. Um, but around those lines, and uh, it is. It, it seems like a lot of money at the time, but, you know, life happens and you've got things, and Sydney's an expensive place, so... Um, can be all gone pretty quickly. Hey, thanks for sharing that with us. When does your kicking game develop? Because, you know, that becomes a great strength of your game. And, yeah, a lot of people, when you mention you, that's the first thing they say. What a great kicking game. Yeah, well, I played coming from a... um, My dad was... My dad's English, and he came over here when he was 18 months old. So my mum was born here, but both grandparents were from England. So big soccer background. Um, and I've played soccer and under sixes. So I would have to say back then that's where I learned to get, you know, the skills with the foot, touching uh, the soccer ball. Uh, I then went to league in sevens, eights, went back to soccer in nines, and then I no longer could juggle. You know, I wanted to do both, and I had to make a decision, um, whether it was soccer or rugby league, and I made the call rugby league and, and went on from there. So it would have to be my soccer background, um, that I'd have to pay tribute to, you know, why I was able to, you know, kick, especially with kicking goals as well. Um, you know, I really, it was something I really enjoyed doing. Um, you know, the, the emphasis is on yourself to put the two points over after a game. You know, that's, that's the only time in the game where everything relies on yourself. You know, it's such a team sport. And I really enjoyed that part of goal kicking. I tell you, you can name some of the greatest kicks of all time because it's like time stands still. So you go back to Michael O'Connor. Uh, you think of Hazamel Masri and some of the, yeah. the kicks of his at Newcastle, out of Penrith. Daryl Halligan in the final series in 1998 where, you know, sideline conversions. Jonathan Thurston right here just below us in 2015 where it seemed like the game stopped for four or five minutes while he got set and then it bounces off the upright. But, you know, some of the greatest kicks of all time and, you know, they're etched in our memories. Yeah, and I think it's a very underrated part of the game still, goal kicking, you know. It's so important um, to have a good goal kicker on your team and those two points after each try are, uh, can be a massive difference, not only for the game, but a top eight finish, a top four finish, a home, a second chance in the finals. I think it's it's um, it's it's super important and it's, a, it's overlooked at times in the game, but... You touched on a few Bulldogs kickers there, Hazamel Masri, Daryl Halligan. Well, you know, the Bulldogs have been pretty blessed in that regard. And I was lucky enough to do a lot of work with Daryl over the years, my time at the Bulldogs. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed working with him. Without me going to Wikipedia, how many points do you finish on in your career? You would have to go to Wikipedia. Uh, I would not know um, off the top of my head. I don't think it's a, it's a hell of a lot because, you know, I didn't, I didn't score too many tries. I'd, I was a type of player that, you know, I'd put my team first and I'd like to set up tries. And, you know, on occasions that, that probably wasn't the best uh, call, but um, that's the type of player I was. And um, I enjoyed my goal kicking as well. And, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but were you in with a chance at one stage to break El Masri's consecutive goal kicking record? I was thereabouts. I think El Masri's is 30, 35, 36, I think he was. And I think I got to late 20s before it then started to become, it got out there. And then when it gets out there, it gets in my head, um, which you try and block out, but it's always in the back of your mind. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I can't remember where it was or who it was against, but I uh, I must have missed one, and that 
uh, come tumbling down. But it was a good, it was a good, um, good time. I was also kicking for. Uh, I had a little initiative there. Um, uh, my kick for kids found foundation as such. I was working with Starlight Foundation, and um, I'd write a name on their kick, my kicking tee each week. And uh, if the kid was well enough, he could come out to the game and he'd experience being at the game, coming in underneath the sheds and uh, meeting all the players. I'd present him with the tee and a jersey. And um, if they weren't, they'd be able to see uh, their name on the tee in the hospital bed if they were watching the footy. So that was something I, I still close uh, hold close to my heart was was um, my, my the initiative I could do with the kids. But um, again, it's just another. Um, another positive, I guess, of being a goal kicker that um, I had a little bit more time on TV to do those sort of things. Yeah, that is one of the nicest things I've ever seen in the history of the game. I remember that vividly, you doing that. And uh, I don't know who came first, but remember JT would go over and hand over the headgear after each game and just beautiful gestures from players and giving back to grassroots. Yeah, JT was one of the originals to do that. You know, he I think he was even... Um, each goal kick he'd throw his tee into the crowd but I don't know if that continued on because he went through a few goal, uh, few tees uh, that year but um, he'd, use, he'd, he'd give the headgear out I remember JT probably being the first one to hand the tee back to the ball boy as well you know you used to see kickers just kick it and leave the, the tee roll off into, into um, in 10-20 metres away but he'd always run after it pick it up hand it back to the to the tee which you see most goal kickers do these days um and you know i was i was just lying in bed one day and i thought you know what um, how can i make a difference and how can i you know do something do something right for these kids that are doing it tough in in hospital and i was staring at the ceiling and i went you know what maybe i'll write their name on the kicking tee you know and i messaged uh the community lady at the bulldogs right then and there and i said how can we do this uh who do we need to talk to and and it happened yeah, and have you been in contact with some of those families since? Yeah, especially I, I, where I went, I originated at the Bulldogs and I, when I went to Newcastle, I took it up to Newcastle as well and um, I'm not too sure if you remember but I, I kicked for a, a girl called Hannah um, early in the year at the, at the Knights, uh, my first year there uh, and she wasn't do, doing too well. She had uh, Ewing sarcoma uh, and then... I got a phone call saying she was on the mend and she was, you know, doing really well, which was great. You want to hear that? Uh, and then got a phone call not long after that that she wasn't doing too well and um, that the, the school was bringing her formal forward. Um, you know, we just wanted to let you know. And I said straight away, I said, would I be able to go to the formal with her? You know what I mean? That would be a pretty special moment for myself to spend a bit of time with her before, you know, something may happen. Um because she was given time, and um, it was it was uh, it was it was a little bit downhill from there. And you know, I went, I was able, lucky enough to go to the the formal with her, which we had a we had a really good really good night. And um, you know, it's funny, it puts everything in perspective because I look at a girl like Hannah, and she was going through so much. She needed steroid injections to get off the lounge, and but she was you would not tell by her emotion. She was as happy as they come. She you know, was was just a really nice young lady and um, unfortunately not long after that she passed away but I still keep in contact to this day with her family and um, yeah, that, those are the memories that I'll take. You know, you take a lot of lot of memories off the field, uh, sorry, on the field. You know, you played in grand finals, you play state of origins and things like that but, you know, nothing comes close to those special moments off the field that, you know, you'll cherish for a long time. Yeah, just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I brought the photo up a moment ago and uh, it's just an unforgettable moment uh, in your lifetime and 
Man, congratulations for doing that. And beautiful Hannah, what a night for her. And I tell you, I saw Jimmy Smith the other day who used to play in the NRL and also works for SEN, the radio station I'm working for. And he said he's never met you, but he said, if I know one thing about Trent Hodkinson, he took Hannah to the formal and he said, that's the mark of a man. Yeah, and look, I, um, it was never in my thoughts to do this for any other reason but to make Hannah feel good at the time and take her mind off what, what she was going through. You know, it was, it was nice enough for the, for the school to bring her formal forward. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was such a special moment arriving at the formal as well. You know, everyone was waiting out, outside and her, all the, uh, all the f- um, parents, all the kids, and she got a, a guard of honour and clapped her in and it was just a special moment. And, you know, it, it, it did go viral. It did go viral, and I was, you know, in a way, I was, I was very happy about that because it brought attention to her and her family, and it also brought attention to how devastating this this Ewing sarcoma can be, you know, to to people. And um, yeah, it was it was it was good that Hannah got to, you know, she she was. I was talking to her after that. We'd we'd message each other, and she said, you know, I, I see myself on TV, or I seen myself, you know. Um, on a website in America, or you know what I mean. So it was very special for her to to feel that way, and that was um, that was what I wanted to do. Yeah, well done, mate. Well done. We need to talk so much more about your pathway at Manly, and then coming to the Bulldogs, where you played almost 100 games, and your time at the Knights, and then followed by a brief cameo at the Sharks. But mate, uh, we said we'd go for about half an hour, and I tell you, time flies. Uh, that is part one, my friend. Yeah, no, time does fly, mate. Um, I appreciate um, you having me on, and I look forward to part two. All right, giddy up. We'll do that uh, in early May. But uh, Trent Hodkinson, thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, Trent Hodkinson, former champion halfback, a star for New South Wales at state of origin level, and the work he did off the field is just absolutely remarkable. Part two coming up soon, and taking Hannah to her school formal is one of the greatest gestures by a player that I've ever seen in the National Rugby League. We dedicate this episode to Hannah and all her family and friends, and we send all of our love. Hope you've enjoyed this edition, and we'll catch you soon. The Perfect Ten.